This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The execution of AI in many products right now is a veneer of a shiny object. And what I mean by that is uh, there's a lot of capabilities that we're gonna, you're seeing software industry broadly attach AI to everything. And my answer to that is what is the outcome that you want to achieve and how is AI and the application of AI helping you achieve that outcome better, more efficiently, cheaper, at a higher level of quality? And if you can't answer those questions and you can't point to it driving an outcome, then it's just a shiny object and you shouldn't be building it. Hi, I'm Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media and your host for the Powerhouse Podcast. Total Expert powers the customer journey for 35% of mortgage transactions. Absolutely phenomenal. But what's even cooler than that is founder and CEO Joe Waylu has the opportunity to talk to executives, CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, some of the leading mortgage and financial institutions each week. In this episode of Powerhouse, Joe shares some of his experience and journey building Total Expert and the perspectives that he's developed through these amazing conversations with leaders of the mortgage and financial services industry and how that flows into how he thinks mortgage and mortgage marketing will operate in the future. We focus in on Gen Z leadership and the trends that are really powering mortgage in 2024 and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode with Joe Waylu, founder and CEO of Total Expert. We're back. Today's guest is Joe Waylu, founder and CEO of Total Expert. Joe, welcome to Powerhouse. Hey, thanks, Clayton. Appreciate you having me on. I'm just happy that I actually said welcome to Powerhouse. We've been calling this show Housing News for the last five years. This is the first time I think I've actually got the intro right in... In the Powerhouse episode. is way better. I like it. <laughs> Joe, I want to kick off. I mean, this is a, you were the, the founder and CEO at Total Expert, a firm that has become absolutely dominant in marketing in the mortgage industry. But I want to go back to the origin story and talk about why you founded this business and why you were uniquely prepared to build this marketing software and technology juggernaut. Yeah, that's a great question. And founding story, really, and I'll try to simplify it. Uh, I incubated the first version of Total Expert in the basement of a real estate office. So uh, I ran a real estate team for about 12, 13 years. And that gave me a point of view on the on the current state of the industry as it related to how homeowners, home buyers would interact with both the real estate community and the lending community. And um, what I saw was it was, you know, very much about a consumer who wanted the outcome of home, home ownership, but didn't necessarily want all of the distractions and nuances that go with the complexity, right, of dealing with, you know, real estate person and a lending person. And I, my vision was really, how do we, how do we deliver better outcomes to consumers and at the same time um, deliver growth for the customers that we serve, which is primarily banks and lenders. And, you know, my my original vision on the company was rooted in a lot of just personal motivation that I had 
knowing the impact that our industry, um, putting people in homes, creating the American dream, that financial wealth or financial health and wellness outcome that happens from home ownership was really important to me. Early on in my childhood, you know, I witnessed what happens when consumers are, are not well-informed and educated on important financial decisions. Um, my parents experienced losing our family farm um, when I was very young to a foreclosure. And that was the result of making some bad financial decisions along the way. And as I got into my career, I saw a lot of similarities on consumers, uh, homeowners getting into loans and mortgage products that weren't necessarily the best for their financial long-term picture, but it was a transaction, right? And I just believe that really connecting with people on a more human level and helping them achieve uh, better financial outcomes is the right way to do business. And that was how we started innovating on Total Expert and uh, building our first products was from that lens. How did you ultimately decide to serve the mortgage originator and IMBs and depositories versus building for the real estate agent as you were kind of incubating inside of this brokerage? That's that's a great question. And so first of all, the first couple of years, like a lot of companies, uh, was filled with a lot of trial and error and a lot of kind of failing what things that didn't work. What we started to notice was the bigger opportunity, you know, housing, there's so much um, information and data and tons of websites that are all about looking at homes and, you know, imaging, uh, giving you images of what that dream house looks like. There's tons of stuff out there like that. But what I saw lacking in the bigger opportunity was how the lending community was connecting, engaging and working with the consumer. You know, I saw really a transactional business that wasn't necessarily rooted in going deeper uh, with customer engagement, customer education, right? Um, really developing that long-term customer for life strategy as a lender. We saw that as a bigger opportunity. And um, so we said, look, you know, resources are, are always limited when you're starting companies. And so how can we how can we make the biggest impact? And we saw lending as our way to make the biggest possible in impact in the industry. So today, I think if you start talking about customer for life and this like an empowered journey for homeowners, most lenders are going to nod their heads and say like, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But if you look back historically, um, and as you pointed out, it hasn't always been a front and center focus, or at least the data tells us it hasn't been a front and center focus as borrowers are more likely than than not to go to a new lender when they refi or purchase their next house versus stay with the the person who got them their their first home or or second home or whatever it is. So, how did clients respond? How did lenders respond when you started talking about your vision and mission to empower this homeownership journey and support customer for life? Like, did they get it at the time, or did that was it? Did it feel like talk track? Not like, initially. Yeah. Not initially. Right. So how the vision is has been shaped and formed is today we we look at it as number one how do you deliver the perfect customer journey for every financial milestone that's the north star and what does that mean and then you got to kind of explain what is a perfect customer journey and it's using data and intelligence to really understand the consumer the customer the human 
their financial position in life where they are right now, what their hopes and dreams are for the next three, five, 10 years, and then how that financial decision on which type of loan, how expensive of a home, how much debt to take on, how those decisions impact their life in the next three, five, 10 years, right? And so if you're doing those things and you're communicating with a customer from that point of view, and you're focused on the best possible outcome for them, we believed that is the best engine for growth because those customers are going to be more loyal to you, right? If you help them get a better financial outcome, educate them on, on the ways to do that and not just churn through transactions. If you really serve them with the right combination of sort of that human touch, but technology enabled, um, we feel that perfect customer journey leads to a really long-term uh, growing profitable business and it's better better outcomes for the consumers as well. What was the profile of some of the the early lenders that that latched on to Total Expert and the strategy? Like who, who did the who did the product resonate with and how did you get them onboarded? Yeah, so you know, we had a we were very fortunate and always have been very fortunate to have amazing customers and they really became our partners in building the platform and they still are our partners. And I would say early on, it was your more forward thinking, um, you know, the, the types of companies that look at the status quo and say, hey, how can I change this up? How can I move the needle? And so I would say more innovative, uh, innovation forward companies that are willing to take some chances, but also, you know, swing big, think big and swing for the fences, so to speak. And so we, we tended to uh, align with those organizations that had leadership in place, that had a vision for what would be possible, you know, if you could take data and the customer journey and really optimize that sales and marketing process, what could be possible? And so that was, that was really who we aligned with early on. So as you think about like the ICP, the ideal client profile in the, in the early days and, and how that's evolved, like was like... Did, they, did a lender need to be of a scale where they had a, a CTO and an engineering team to like get through an implementation or, or was it a, was it an, is it a lighter lift implementation? Like how do you like define who can actually benefit from a platform like Total Expert and get it done? So it, it evolved over the years as the platform has gotten more robust and powerful. And, you know, first of all, I would say our, our focus is constantly uh, innovating and improving how we work with our customers, getting them live and getting them faster time to value is always a focus. And I don't think you're ever done with with trying to get better at, at that, right? But for us, as, as we got mo a more robust platform, and if you think about a customer journey, you got a lot of data, you've got a lot of touch points, a lot of interactions with that process from lead to customer for life. And there's a lot of orchestration there. And so you do have to have or did, and I would say still do have to have at least some kind of expertise internally that understands the value and then how to move the pieces around, how to get data connected, those types of things. If you don't have it internally, the cool part for us this last couple of years uh, is we've started to align with a really outstanding uh, team of partners uh, in our ecosystem that can come in alongside even a smaller lender and, you know, very inexpensively help make them successful if they don't have these huge organizations. So we've, we've been able to have flexibility by, by thinking more broadly about 
you know, who we partner with and, and how we bring value to the customers. Oh, really interesting. So when you say partners, are these like implementation partners who yeah. come in and provide third yeah. party tech support? Yeah. So we've got some agency partners and some ISV implementation partners, um, and they all do various things. But what we've learned um, is, you know, we're building, we're really building a platform and that platform uh, the capabilities are robust and not every lender needs to touch all of those things. Some of them might have very more simplistic needs and some of them maybe have very complex needs. If they're, they have millions of past customers and multiple business lines and distribution channels, that's more complexity. And so we saw an opportunity to say, hey, um, we want a long-term partnership. How do we make that successful? And how do we make it the most successful we possibly can? And the answer was not just the technology, uh, but you had to have best practices and expertise. And what we notice is sometimes the best way to bring those best practices and that expertise is to bring in a, a partner that can sit right alongside um, the lender or bank and, uh, and work with them as a partner for three, six, 12 months, yeah. or even in some cases ongoing, and uh, cost-effectively uh, help them uh, increase the levels of success that they have with the rollout. That's really interesting. I, as I think about like other, like, like the biggest software companies, like think of like the sales forces of the world, like they've gone through iterations where they want to be vertically integrated and like control the platform and like the services business and other times where like they want to like kind of move services and implementations to, to, to a partner. Have you ever thought about like the pros and cons of vertically integrated versus partner model and like how you made that decision? Yeah. So first of all, um, you know, we are vertical focused a hundred percent on financial services. It's all we do. It's all we think about every integration, every partner that we focus on has to have value, uh, to our customer base. And if they don't, we don't do it. So it's hyper focus in the category, first of all. And then from there, um, what we've noticed is it's not one or the other. It's not, hey, do we do all of our implementations externally or inter versus internally? It's always most likely going to be a combination of the two. And we have the technology platform. And then we have, you know, a menu of professionals and services, some, some of those internal at Total Expert, and some of them through, depending on what the topic is, if it's data analysis or if it's, um, you know, integrations of a certain kind, there's a partner that is the best in the world at that thing. And so we want to be best in the world at connecting the dots for our customers uh, on the platform, but then be able to tap into these this menu of services and partners who are the best in the world at other things, right? Some, some of the people we work with are, I was on the phone yesterday actually uh, with one of our agency partners and she's phenomenal at designing end-to-end -end, uh, journeys and workflows, right? Think of like a sales and marketing process. She's an expert on it. She's mapped thousands of them. She can come in alongside a lender and get them value so much faster than if they were relying on their internal team to say, hey, what's our customer journey map look like, right? So it's just aligning with people that are the very best at what they do and then knowing when to tap into those resources. Interesting. Okay, so once you're implemented and working with a mortgage lender, what does that relationship look like from there? Are there 
Um, and I, I guess what I'm kind of getting to is like, have your clients been influential in helping define the roadmap? How does that information flow and communication flow um, work with your key clients? Absolutely. So first of all, we look at every customer, we want those to be decade plus long partnerships. And if you talk to our customer base, um, you know, we're, we're definitely not perfect in, in everything we release and don't always, you know, like most technology, it's not always a perfect science. It's not a perfect line between here to here. Sometimes there's course corrections you have to do along the way. But our customers are absolutely the driving force for what we're building and why we're building it. We meet with a ton of customers uh, every single month. Uh, we look at end user data. And then more importantly, we look at the outcomes that the organizations want to achieve, right? And say, sometimes they think, well, hey, I want this shiny object. But actually what they're trying to get is an outcome, a business outcome. And sometimes there's other ways to get that business outcome that might be uh, more impactful, uh, more efficient that they might not be thinking about, right? So it gives you this partnership approach. It gives you this partnership point of view to where you're always able to look at the inputs, the requests, but then come back with a point of view on how to solve those requests. That isn't necessarily saying, hey, just take our order and build this feature. It's help us win, help us get to the next, this bigger outcome. And then we collaborate on how to do that. And it's, it's, I love it. I mean, you can see, I get really excited about it. Um, love to innovate. Our team loves it. It's what juices them. And so the inputs for our roadmap are absolutely customers and then data uh, from the users and what they see and need, but then also looking at how do we move the needle? How do we help these guys grow 20, 30% a year plus how do we help them be more profitable? How do we help them find the deals that are falling through the cracks? We ground on kind of those outcomes. Are there any uh, current like features or parts of the product suite that just wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a client like being very collaborative and vocal that this was something that was important? You know, so absolutely. And um, Trey Rigdon, actually, if you know Trey, he just took a, a, a role as CMO at Summit and he was... Uh, in marketing and movement for a long time. And, and I, I give him, uh, you know, jokingly, I tell him, I said, you know, um, we should have your signature on our, on our journeys, part of our product, because his input uh, really shaped a big part of the way uh, our journey orchestration, that marketing automation part of our platform functions. And uh, he was very influential and uh, very deliberate and intentional on saying, hey, here's why we need this and here's what it's going to do took a few years longer than what we would have wanted to realize that full vision. But I, I would say, you know, that's an example. That's really cool. Nice shout out for, yeah. for Trey too. At Housing Wire, we're obsessed with data and analytics. Without good insight, there's no shot at operational excellence or innovation. Mortgage lenders that want to thrive in today's market must have access to due diligence and valuation intel, risk management tools, and predictive analytics. And they have to cover everything from the asset to the enterprise. This is exactly what Consolidated Analytics does. If you want to make more informed decisions and optimize performance, you have to check out Consolidated Analytics. Visit consolidatedanalytics.com to start your journey toward more informed decision making. So as the yeah. business has evolved 
over the years. How have you changed your your leadership team? And I'm, I'm coming back to a conversation that you and I had. I think we were in San Jose at an NBA event a couple of years past, and we were both you know talking CEO to CEO about like how like the demands on a leadership team, the skills that are necessary at different sta- stages seems to change pretty quickly as businesses grow, market cycles change. How is your approach to leading your your organization and building this leadership team that I'm sure, you know, really supports the business on a day-to-day basis changed as you've scaled over the last 12 years? Yeah, I would say, so first of all, it's evolved tremendously. And, you know, we've, we've definitely collaborated on this topic early on. Your expectation is I can bring on a team member and Hey, they're going to, you know, they're going to be with me for the long term journey here. They're, they're going to be with us till the end. Right. And sometimes that's true, right? If people have this mindset of evolving and getting better and constantly leveling up, right? And some people just innately um, are obsessed with getting better personally and growing their knowledge and those types of things. And if they are, a lot of times they're going to evolve with the company. But you have to be really brutally honest with yourself and your leadership team in saying, hey, here's what I see. And, you know, this particular team or leader of this team or this particular contributor, I haven't seen them step it up every year or I haven't seen them step it up in the last six months. You have the opportunity to coach them and set clear expectations. So a couple of things. One, you have to be brutally honest with yourself as a leader on who should be on the bus and who shouldn't be. And we're we're an organization that thrives in a high performance culture and mindset, right? And we push hard. And and so what we learned is let's not apologize for that. And let's not try to accommodate um, people that, you know, think in terms of mediocrity is okay. And so we got, you know, we started thinking about this and how do we deliver this message uh, at an organizational level and, and come right out. And the answer was come right out and be totally transparent with who you hire and your existing team on what your expectations are and the type of organization that you have as the standard, right? And that is standard of excellence. And then it's constantly observing, you know, the outcomes that your team is getting and they're either solving problems and moving the business forward or they're not. And you have to look at that and, and not be afraid to just like a professional sports team, Sometimes you've got really talented players and they're not playing well together and they're not winning. And sometimes there's not an easy reason why, but you have to make some changes. And sometimes that's what's needed. Yeah. That topic of like talking about excellence reminds me of a a conference I went to, right? Like I was a brand new CEO. This is like six or seven years ago. And there was, I was at Stanford and another CEO was sharing a story where he's like, Hey, we, we grew a hundred percent last year. And everyone's like, Whoa, like that's huge. He's like, and I fired my CRO and I was like, Oh, and, um, then he's like, yeah, we grew like 112% the next year. And I fired my CRO. I'm like, what, like, what's going on? You're doubling the business every year, but still like replacing the person who really carries the responsibility for, um, for that growth. And there's two points didn't play well with the rest of the team and was causing like chaos internally. But two, the CEO also thought there was a market tailwind that should have had them growing at 150%. And um, 112 wasn't what wasn't the opportunity that like could have been had by someone at the top of their game in his view. But that was, um, 
that was a real like crazy story that like has uh, you know stuck with me on like managing talent. Yeah, I I have um one of my mentors is a uh, CEO of a pretty well known publicly traded company in in software, and um you know he he has done a similar play to where he's replaced different parts of his team. And is that what you want to do? No, of course not. Um, I'm a relationship focused person and I'd love having the team alongside me the whole way, but winning, you know, is the North star and helping our customers win specifically. And if we're accomplishing that and we have the pieces in place to do that, awesome, let's keep going. And if we don't, we're going to make those adjustments. And, you know, I think it's, it's a great lesson. It's harder to do in reality, but, uh, when you, when you do it, it can be really a force multiplier for your business. How has your job as CEO changed over the years? That's a great, that's a great question too. Man, it has changed so much and I'm sure you can identify with this to where, you know, your first couple years um, and really first four or five years, you're just doing anything and everything, right? I mean, I was telling, we had our sales kickoff this week <laughs> and I was telling one of our SDRs, one of our uh, business development reps. I said, you know, I was uh, the SDR, the account exec, um, the sales engineer, the implementation manager, and the customer success person. I was those those things all at the same time for a number of years. And so as you evolve, still had to write the paychecks and um, turn the lights on every morning. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, everything. And you just do whatever you have the mentality um, as an entrepreneur. And those, you know, those in the audience that are entrepreneurs will understand this. You, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And there's no ego. You're, you know, you're going to take out the trash for as long as you have to. And until it makes sense to hire somebody to do that. Yeah. Um, so I think the early days, it's just whatever it takes. And then it's really transitioning at each level to a more strategic focus. And I spend a lot of my time now um, talking about the future and working on the future, right? Certain amount of time focused on the execution of today, but a lot of my time spent talking to other CEOs and leaders of our customers and uh, where they see the industry going in the next two, three, four years. And then I'm backing into solutions and roadmap items that help them accomplish that, right? So I spend a lot more time on kind of setting the vision and then big strategic things, relationship things that partnership things that really are needle moving items um, more than I used to do. How do you manage that flow of communication from these, all these great external conversations you're having with other, other industry leaders and CEOs of clients and prospects? How does, how do those ideas, priorities flow into your team? Um, and hopefully get a, like something that happens with those that influence some kind of outcome. So we, we've got a, we've got a formal, we have a tool, a software tool to where there's different layers of inputs. So we have a software tool to where we get feedback from our people, people at the customer level that are using the product every day, right? Which might be, you know, marketing coordinators, it might be loan officers, and they're able to put ideas in a portal that we collect, we synthesize, filter those, and then those go into a selection process uh, for our roadmap. And some of those things make it onto the roadmap and some don't. But we get a lens for the level of importance based on how many people vote for that particular item. So that's the input at, at I would say, the user and um, you know, people using the product. The inputs at the executive level are just as important or even more important in some cases. And those conversations are happening all the time 
from, you know, like Dan Catanella, our chief lending officer, um, James White, our general manager of banking, they are having executive conversations every week. And so we meet weekly uh, about, you know, we have an extended leadership team that is pretty customer facing. We meet weekly, sometimes a couple of times a week just for catch-ups. And we're always sharing kind of the key talking points or key themes that we're hearing. And so we don't let a week go by without connecting and saying, okay, what are the patterns, any different pattern recognition themes that we need to talk about? And then we are you know, prioritizing the big bucket items. Uh, data and intelligence is a huge theme for us. And it's a huge theme for us because it was so um, needed from talking with our customers, right? Saying, what, how can I drive the business forward in an environment that's brutal? And the answer is, well, you've got tremendous amounts of business setting here that's falling in the trash can. Let's use some data and intelligence to capture it. And so that's an example of how we bring those things to life. A kind of a, a selfish question from my own experience, but have you had any of those external inputs um, that you or Dan or someone else in the leadership team heard from a client or, or saw from a competitor that might have changed a part of the roadmap or uh, even made you abandon work that had already been done because of something you're hearing in market or a trend you're starting to see? Um, what it has done, I would say, is it's forced us to reprioritize uh, certain things. And so we had some things that we reprioritized and put lower on the priority list uh, to prioritize our customer intelligence part of our pro product, and our platform. And the reason that we did that is it was so clear that if we were able to bring kind of that intelligence that helped our customers identify opportunities and then connected that directly to the system of action, right? The workflows and the sales and marketing uh, journeys that we have that would really, you'd be able to purely look at ROI and you'd easily be able to generate incremental volume deal flow, right? And so that's an area where we said, hey, that is going to have a bigger impact for our customer base broadly then I won't name the features because there might be somebody out there that's going to be like, hey, I knew they, you know, deprioritized my, my request. Uh, but we deprioritized things that when we looked at it, they said, yeah, um, there's some noise around this particular item. Um, there's, it's a shiny object. And, but if I really look at the value creation that we're going to be able to generate for our customer, I didn't see the power or the impact of the value from building that as much as I saw. It was 10x, 20x the customer intelligence side. And so that's an example of how we prioritized from themes that we were hearing in the market and how that resulted in us shifting gears, right? All right. So think it through the lens of like the broader mortgage technology ecosystem, and you just use the phrase shiny object. So I'm going to latch on yeah. to that. Is yeah. AI a shiny object? No. Um, the execution of AI... Uh, in many products right now is a veneer of a shiny object, if that's even a thing. And what I mean by that is uh, there's a lot of capabilities that these organizations, you're seeing software industry broadly attach AI to everything. And my answer to that is what is the outcome that you want to achieve and how 
is AI and the application of AI uh, helping you achieve that outcome better, more efficiently, cheaper, at a higher level of quality? And if you can't answer those questions and you can't point to it driving an outcome, then it's just a shiny object and, and you shouldn't be building it. Our approach um, on AI specifically has been around how do we drive better outcomes as it relates to higher engagement with the consumer, um, higher conversion rates in the, uh, from lead to application, and then, of course, higher retention rates. And where can AI help us do that? Um, there's a, some great technology that we are working on very intensely right now around content and helping more efficiently generate really high quality, authentic content. So we're working on that, and, and that's got a lot of AI components to it. And then on the data side of things, um, helping customers uh, optimize their database, right? Deduplication, um, getting that golden record of a customer, and then um, bringing that all together. There's a lot of AI uh, capabilities that are advantageous to those use cases as well. How can a mortgage lender tell what's a veneer, what vendors and what technology partners are working on AI projects that are of note and real versus who just decided to drop a .ai at the end of their company name and not actually like build something that's going to move the needle. Yeah. So I don't think it's always totally obvious by the way, and yeah. I don't think you can always identify it. I think sometimes there's a lot of I would say TBD out there, right? To where you're seeing companies that have invested and raised a lot of money for AI uh, forward solutions and they're early and I don't, I think the jury's still out. Um, but as a, as a lender, a bank that serves this industry, um, I would focus first and foremost on what are the most important outcomes for your organization that will help you really make an impact in the business and to your customers? Start there and then work your way backwards and saying, okay, this is an AI solution. Where does it fit in to helping me achieve these outcomes? And then give me referenceability for customers that have tried those solutions or show me the case study. Or if it's a prototype, show me the demo and illustrate to me how it helps me achieve one of these important outcomes. And I think that's the only way to do it, is you got to ground in outcomes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe, let's talk a little bit about trends in, in homeownership. There's been a lot of talk about generational trends for a while, but the talk used to be baby boomers and these millennials that are never going to buy homes. Well, we know what happened there. Now we're talking about Gen Z. Give us a view into how you're thinking about generational trends in homeownership and, and how lenders are thinking about who that next buyer is going to be. Yeah. So, man, there's a lot to unpack there. So the first thing I would say 
is uh, you and I both uh, believe in the American dream of homeownership. And we know the statistics that, you know, I think it's uh, homeowners have a 40 times higher net worth than a renter. Like that's pretty impactful. Why does that matter? Right? So if you think about it for the average person, um, if they can create equity in a home, a place for their family, that equity gives them security. It gives them a backstop. And for a lot of those people, that's maybe the only avenue they have to build that long-term security. So I believe that home ownership is still the American dream, and it always will be a component of that. What I think has changed is the accessibility to uh, home ownership for the younger generation. Um, it's tougher. They're more expensive. The rates are higher now. So it has moved the needle for some of those individuals on the timing. But here's what I'm seeing that I know a lot of our customers are giving us feedback on this. Largely, there's a lot of demand from those early generate those younger generations to buy. And they're saying, hey, this is a goal. And I it might take me two years, three years to, to get there. And so the opportunity, and I always look at what's the opportunity here. The opportunity for these lenders today is identify those segments of the market and partner with them, educate them, help them on that journey to home ownership and think long term, right? If you're starting today, two, it might be two years before you're realizing the uh, fruits of that, right? To where those people might not be buying for a year, two years, three years. But if that's a part of your playbook, um, you're going to have an incredible business because there's no doubt they are going to have families. They're going to want to be grounded with a place to call home and uh, they're going to need money to do that and a loan to do that most likely. Whether that delay in two years is because of saving for a down payment, getting income to a certain level, waiting for rates to come down, which we know might not be the, the smartest play, um, how should a lender respond to that inquiry or opportunity as someone who might not be ready to buy for two years and through the lens that LOs often change shops and people come and people go and like there's a lot of distractions in life. How do you hold on to that, that two year lead? Yeah, so I think it's, it's truly one of the biggest opportunities out there and we call it, you know, being up funnel, right. From lenders in a lot of cases are, are pretty good if they're going to transact that month or that quarter, maybe within a yeah. few months, they're really terrible. If it's a year, if it's two years out, they're brutally terrible, right? Most of them. And so it's important to have that as a key initiative in your organization. What is our long-term nurture and engagement strategy for our cohorts of prospects, right? Our segments of the market. And you have to properly segment uh, those uh, customers, those prospects, those potential home buyers. You have to segment them into categories so that you can communicate with them, educate them with the context that you need to connect, right? Because if you're just sending them BS marketing stuff and they don't find it valuable, they're not going to pay attention and that's not going to help you. So the opportunity is truly having that be a priority saying, we are going to be world-class at nurturing and incubating uh, future homeowners. We're going to educate them. We're going to communicate with them. We're going to coach them. And if you're willing to do that, you're going to reap the payoffs. And I think that is truly, you have to prioritize it. And then tactically, there's, there's things like 
segmentation of the audience, customization of the content, and those pieces kind of brought together um, yield a lot of real potential rewards. And it has to be tech enabled because there's not many Absolutely. originators out there who are going to, you know, take the time to nurture a single lead for two years. And, you know, and it might not be the best use of time to go hand to hand combat nurturing yeah. somebody for two years because, you know, you have to survive until that point. So do you think it's the, you talked about total expert leveraging AI and like the content generation side. Do you think that AI is going to get it done or is this next generation who grew up or who's growing up in a world where they've been flooded with content and will soon be flooded with AI content? We'll, we'll see through it. Like how, how do we, like, we, we know they're going to like, we know they're going to know like what's AI, what's human. Like how do we like make sure like they just don't think it's of an ear. So my answer to AI, um, is always in the short term, and I mean the next couple of years, it's AI plus human in the loop. That that has okay. to be there. And what that means is um, if you're firing out content just with AI and you're not checking it, you're not tweaking it for authenticity, quality, whatnot, um, you're going to end up making mistakes and sending things out that are, that are not going to work or resonate, right? It is a tool to increase productivity. It is not a replacement for human expertise. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but it is a, um, I, I've heard that before, but it is a, it is a tone change from like how people were talking about AI 18, 24 months ago, where the biggest topic, the biggest headline was um, how many jobs it was going to replace. Yeah. So, and, and I think you have to bucket and, and we're speaking about AI as it relates to that customer journey kind of customer-facing marketing and sales engagement, those types of things. There's also back office um, capabilities in underwriting and those types of things that I think um, have the potential to certainly make people tremendously more efficient and probably allow them to upskill some of those individuals that are doing super manual tasks. They can now elevate them and have them doing higher value things. And in some cases, maybe that does result in less headcount. Hopefully, it results in more output and better outcomes. And if you're doing that, then of course, you're still going to need um, expertise, you know, people in the organization with expertise. And so from our point of view, it is the most profound technological shift since the internet may be bigger than the internet, but it's going to take time to sort of weave its way through all of the capabilities and the processes that we do. All right, cool. Well, this is a good uh, kind of tease into AI. I was talking this week with a friend, um, Rick Rock, um, and he introduced me a few weeks ago. Is that Dr. Rick? Yeah, Dr. Rick. And he, but he introduced me to a Dr. Moss from Stanford who's building some AI capabilities and um, as a researcher and, and as an entrepreneur. So we, we might be playing another episode to go deeper in that, like that operational side of, of AI and how it can come into like the processing and underwriting and operations processes. So if the audience likes this, this conversation we're having today, I'll, I'll definitely do that and, and go deeper on, yeah. on AI. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about there. You know, you can talk about there's privacy uh, concerns. There's a lot of technical things that you have to be thoughtful of, yep. right? Uh, particularly in regulated financial services. Yeah. And I like, that's, a, I'm glad you brought up we're regulated because I, I love and noticed how like the, to, the total expert company description, you mentioned serving regulated entities, um, which yeah. is, uh, 
you know, it's a very specific detail to have in a company description, but I think it's important to the way you've focused the organization. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about, you know, customer engagement, sales marketing, uh, how you're communicating with customers, there's a lot of data privacy and preferences that really matter um, to consumers. And, you know, there's a lot of technology that is built for the masses, you know, maybe uh, e-commerce and things like that, that are, you're not maybe uh, communicating about sensitive things that have thousands and thousands of dollars of impact, right? If somebody interprets it wrong or makes the wrong decision. So it just adds the a level of, you know, complexity that you have to uh, build into your solutions if you serve this space. Joe, awesome episode. Thank you for exploring your entrepreneurial journey and sharing some of that expertise you gained by working with customers and clients and partners across the mortgage industry every day. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, buddy. Love, uh, love the great work you guys are doing, man. Keep it up. 